you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Bruce Johnson from Blue Voyance. How are you doing today, Bruce? Wonderful, Ray. Thanks for having me. Good. So today, Bruce, we wanted to invite you to discuss about the state of the channel in North America. So that, that's a big topic, I would believe. But before we get started, it would be very, very useful if you could give a short introduction to yourself as well as Blue Voyant to our listeners. Certainly, Ray. So Blue Voyant is a next generation cybersecurity provider. And what makes us different is we were built for the industry by leaders who have seen this uh, cybersecurity challenge from a different perspective. Leaders mm -hmm. from Morgan Stanley, from Thomson Reuters, even from the intelligence community of the NSA and FBI 8200 unit and, and GCHQ. And what really makes us different is we were built on a threat intelligence platform that really informs everything else that we do. And it's an unrivaled in the world, really. Uh, but it's a, it's a leading platform for threat intelligence that allows us to deliver value to our customers and, and really bring to the private sector and smaller organizations the level of cyber security defense that has only been enjoyed by the very largest organizations. So Jim Rosenthal is our CEO. And yep. He, prior to, to starting Blue Voyant, was the COO at Morgan Stanley with a $350 million cybersecurity budget. And his wow. vision is to bring that type of cybersecurity defense to smaller organizations who can't go out and get those same type, types of resources. So we've developed a company around threat intelligence, around managed security services, and around cyber forensics and incident response that really brings that level of solution and cyber defense to organizations around the world. Well, I must admit that the, the pedigree of the founders or the, 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 the thinking heads that have been at the early stage or at the creation of Blue Voyance plus the team now, so all the people, that, not only your CEO, but also yourself, Bruce, and all the background that you are bringing to the table uh, is, is definitely an impressive setup. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, we're excited about it. Good. Well, it seems that uh, Blue Voyance, so you see, uh, have a serious Big background and big backup from, from lots of interesting people. So very, very interesting technology company. From your background, Bruce, and also from living and breathing the channel in North America for as long as you've done. And I think one of the reasons why we wanted to invite you is also because you, you live both sides of the channel. So working from the vendor as well as working for the actual channel itself. It would be very useful if you could share with, with us uh, or if you could outline what, what is from your perspective, the actual state of the channel in North America and also the direction in which you see it going. Yeah, I, I'd love to. As you said, I have been on all sides of the channel. I've worked for companies like Symantec. I've been uh, on, the, on the vendor side. Uh, Cinex is a distributor. I've been in the reseller space. And it's obviously evolved over those decades that I've been around. What I've seen really happen, it's really incredible to see how one sector of the business, the cybersecurity space, can really drive an entire channel because it's hard to be in the technology space anymore without offering some level of information security, cybersecurity practice or, mm -hmm. or a consideration into that space. So what we're seeing is that is driving 
VARs to who might traditionally be in the storage space or infrastructure space or any other space, just like cloud has really kind of pulled partners into looking at things differently. Cybersecurity is forcing people to look at their businesses differently. And it's also been a a natural connection, though, to another big movement over the last couple of decades, which has been moving away from the resale of a product to a recurring revenue model as a business. So Mm -hmm. putting those two things together really has driven a lot of development in the channel. It's driven uh, channel partners to try to build tighter relationships with their vendors and the the, uh, offerings that they have. And it's also caused them to look deeper into the opportunity of, of partnering with their distributors who have access to more technologies and can help them vet those technologies and then really put resources together to go build practices. Some, mm-hmm. in, in some cases, many cases, the distributors are actually augmenting a lot of what the, the, the resellers or the service providers are, are doing with their own resources. So it's been a, uh, there's a lot of things moving along. And I think the two biggest drivers are that, that I see are the need to wrap security into all aspects of the offering. And this, again, this idea of, uh, of a recurring revenue model that it does what everybody's been seeking and now starting to see how they can deliver through cloud services and, and manage services on that promise. Okay. So do you feel that there is really an, an upskilling of the channel going on? So channel partner being a little bit more technical and more on the ball from a, a product or value proposition perspective, simply because the, the market is becoming a little bit more complex and more congested? I absolutely do. I think that you're seeing you're driving to more specialization and mm-hmm. and people are digging in and, and having to invest. And I think one of the big invest in those resources, and I th- think one of the big reasons for that is the lack of resources and talent in the general population to cover things like cybersecurity. There's a very large gap. I mean, by some, some studies, it's a million unfilled security jobs. And so the VARs and service providers are driving deeper and, and better, I guess, solutions and, and expertise to be able to go out and provide those those services to the client base where the clients are unable to, to fill those roles. Yeah. I also think from, from, from my own perspective and my own experience in, in also engaging with a channel that I feel that there is a little bit more sort process from distributors, from resellers to try to get solutions that will fit with each other and almost coming to coming to market with their own bundles of solution that, that will, I guess, support them to do two things. First one would probably be have, having a, a competitive advantage on the market because we know that it's, it's extremely competitive and extremely challenging for new resellers to acquire new market share or or for new for resellers to acquire new clients, so it's it's about differentiators, but it's also about keeping their clients. What we tend to see or what we tend to feel, I think it's more feeling than seeing it. To be honest with you, is reseller slash distributor putting more thoughts in what they can offer to the market to also keep their clients for longer. So there is always almost that sort of quest going on, trying to identify new vendors or new solution or something that will fit very well with an offering that is already existing. So I guess what I'm trying to explain is that there is a, there is a, always that research for innovation, always that we are seeking something innovative that we can bring to the market so we can impress 
our clients. And I think from my perspective, this is a, a, a big shift. When when we started and, and my career in the B2B software business is a little bit shorter than yours, Bruce. So, so my experience is, is, is not as great as yours. But I feel that we're we kind of moving from a fulfillment role of the channel to a bit more of a specialized role. So, and it seems that what you just mentioned is, is, is very much aligned with what I feel as well. Yes. I mean, we are seeing the same thing. I've seen the same thing is that it's more difficult for service providers, value-added resellers, anybody standing in that role facing the customer and the customer's asking for a solution. It's, diff- it's more difficult for that partner to, to not pick sides and have done the research. So you're, you're right um, from what I've seen. The role of uh, fulfillment and agnostic position to provide whatever the customer wants because of the vast uh, number of options now, we've got more technology in every category. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's making it, the customers are leaning on those advisors, those trusted advisors. The, they're, they're asking them to, to it's now become a value in the, in the value-added reseller formula. One of those value adds is the decision support, the ability to, to put things together and help the customer decide, you need to go this way as opposed yep. to just being there with a line card of, of 15 options in each category. Do you also feel that there is, um, again, coming back to the side that you've been seeing both sides of the, of, of the channel, being in the reseller slash distributor yourself and running the teams as well as being at the vendor, on the vendor side, do you think it's more challenging now for distributors? Because obviously we're speaking about upscaling, we're speaking about being specialists, and, and I would have thought that this is coming with investment. You can't just become a specialist by just sitting there and doing nothing. You need to upskill your team. You need to train them. You need to teach them. You, they need to have a better understanding of the market, etc., etc. So that's one thing. So that's the investment. But on the other side, coming back to something that you mentioned earlier on, it's a recurring revenue. Is that software as a service type of business, almost moving to a, a managed service provider type of offering, which I would have thought would bring less margin for the channel itself. So I kind of see it as from the conversation we are having right now that there is a requirement to upskill, there is a requirement for larger investment, but at the other end, there is also an issue of less revenue coming in because you can't service, you can't have a server sitting at your on your client site, you probably have less services that you can sell. So does that, do, you, do you think that slightly changed the business model or the way the, the, the channel is working? How does the, the upscaling versus on-demand versus software as a service, from your perspective, affect the business model or, or the way the channel can survive? I think it does put a lot more pressure on the distributor specifically because the distributor has a larger spread of resources. They're able to take on and specific areas and go make those investments and prepare to enable and help those bars build businesses and augment those businesses, right? Because it's hard for a, for the, uh, I'll call them a point of sale reseller, the person at the end, end point with the customer to go and invest all the, put all the people in place on the bet, if you will. And, yep. and not also from a workload perspective. So with the, the flow of business, it's, it's sometimes better for the, the distributor to put those resources in place and then pull the resellers along with them. And that's actually become a value add to the reseller to, to team up with distributors who can help them even out that business and augment the services where necessary. 
it's also it's a very good example of where sock services specifically uh, mm-hmm. are a point where a lot of resellers and a lot of service providers were out there saying, hey, we'll do managed services. We'll do we'll offer, you know, some infrastructure as a service. We'll do these things. And then they kind of evolved to, hey, let's let's make that a security as a service. But they yeah. found that building a sock is very expensive. So Absolutely. they're looking to providers like Blue Voyant to say, okay, you've built your sock or your multiple socks and you've got those uh, manned with all the people that you need and all the analysts. So what we can do now is go out and add a layer of service on top of that, put our expertise into a particular uh, industry or market segment, and then leverage those sock services of a Blue Voyant to ultimately uh, build a profitable business where we haven't had to do the outlay of, of funds. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with you. I think it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting changing world for the channel itself, both distributor, the, the one-tier or the two-tier channel. Another thing that really interests me, and I guess I, I want to move the conversation towards, is is your global experience. You've been working a lot in North America. You've been working a lot in Europe. You've been working a lot in APAC. So you've got you've got that very interesting global experience and. My next question is really around the differences or if you see any differences or any different level of maturity between Americas versus Europe versus APAC in terms of channel, in terms of, it could be at the engagement level or the way they work. But it'd be very interesting if you could comment from your mm-hmm. perspective on the differences between regions. Well, I'll give you my perspective, but it's purely from the seat of a U.S.-based business going into new markets. And that's an important distinction because from that perspective, it's trying to get places that we can't necessarily get in touch with the same types of direct selling uh, resources. So taking a business that is primarily U.S., as we are today, for example, well, Blue Voyant is is a global company, but most of our resources are in in the U.S. So our reach into Europe, for example, requires us to lean on those channels differently than we would in the United States. When I was at Symantec, we had a different play because we had an entire sales infrastructure in the EMEA regions and and things like that. But so I'll tell you that, for example, from the the large vendor perspective, we see specifically in the Europe areas, the the role of the distributor is very different. It's a Mm -hmm. much more of a value added position uh, or uh, place in the ecosystem. Uh, we've seen the same thing evolve in the United States, where the broad line, if you will, distributors are taking on more of a value position. And, and that's happened over the last, you might say 10 years, but certainly the last five, where uh, the traditional big, big broad line distributors are getting deeper into specifics and deep, specific areas and, and certainly adding a lot more resource around the solution selling and, and things like that. So we're seeing a, a value added development in the United States that's been there in, in Europe for, for quite some time. When we look yeah. at going off into other regions, we see, you know, for example, in APAC, cultural differences are one of the biggest advantages that the channel brings us to understand the culture and, and how to do business, you know, in those regions, whether it's Japan or Australia or wherever. So uh, cultural cultural things are very important. And uh, But I would say in general, you know, it, it it's a case where we have to build a complex strategy around how we're going to leverage the channels in each of those different regions. 
Absolutely. And I think you are completely right. And starting with the statement that you look at it from a US company coming into Europe, it's very valuable because we do it the other way. We sometimes look at European clients or an Israeli client, for example. There is a ton of Israeli startups that have fantastic products and they want to scale in North America. And scaling in North America, because of the, the territory is so vast, you need to you need to really have that granularity on the ground. If you are scaling up in the UK, if you are scaling up in France, if you are scaling up in even in Korea or in Australia and things like that, at least you could find a local distributor or local partners that know their market very well. You can do a bit of due diligence, find a few. But when it comes to North America and going the other way, it's got its own challenges. And I think this is something that we would actually discuss in more details in another podcast, but I will definitely pick your brain up on that topic later on. Another thing that I, obviously, the kind of my last question uh, that I've got for you is the improvement. So you, again, you have been working for the channel. You are now in a vendor. So you've got that vendor perspective, which is increasing revenue, selling. So you want the channel probably to do more on a daily basis, et cetera, et cetera. But from your perspective, what should be or what could be the improvement that we need to see in the channel moving forward or in that ecosystem moving forward? I'd say the biggest thing is we need to we need to see a willingness to build a tighter process and tighter engagement between vendor and and partner. Mm-hmm. The willingness and a lot of times that that means an investment which requires both sides to to choose fewer partners instead of trying to go out and do be all things to all people. Specifically, yep. the the channel partner, the value added reseller, the solution provider. I really believe they need to pick fewer vendors and go deeper into understanding those vendors and actually be willing to take sides in particular technology arguments, right? And which which direction to go so that you can go deeper with the customer and provide more value together. So the the willingness to invest in that tighter engagement, understanding of each other's businesses, I think is critical. And it's on both sides. The vendor has to pick fewer partners and try to uh, actually invest in an enablement in and go to market with more strategic partners. And that requires an investment of time and resources and, and delivery mechanisms. Um, and I think they also, they also need to be willing to, as I said, stand up for where they want to take their business, a, a partner does, so that they can add value to the customer in their overall strategy for around technology. So they can yep. continue to add more and more value. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the key things. Well, that's, that's very useful. Thank you very much for, for your insight on that, Bruce. Last question that I've got for you is for the purpose of our audience and for the purpose of our listener, if anyone wants to get in touch with you to discuss either about Bluevoyant solution or just to have a chat with you to carry on the conversation that we just had around the channel, what is the best way to get hold of Bruce Johnson? Uh, the best way to get hold of me is through bruce.johnson at bluevoyant.com. And okay. uh, that's my email address. And I'd, I'd love to love to chat with folks. Well, it's been wonderful, Bruce. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate all the insight that you shared with us today. So again, thank you very much. Thank you, Ray. My pleasure. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, Companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. 
See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.